Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. If you have not already taken advantage of the opportunity to express your gratitude to our president, Reverend Paul D. Mooney, and his wife, we urge you to consider doing just that. As you may be aware, they have announced a timeline for retirement, and after 32 years of leadership, excellence, vision, and integrity, we want the entire world to know just how much we love and appreciate them. And we would love if you could help do that. Now, here's how you can help. Record a 30 to 45 second video expressing your gratitude to the Moonies and then submit that video in the show notes link entitled, Thank You, President and Sister Mooney. That will allow you to upload your video to a photo album and it's that simple. Once we have it, we're going to share your expressions of gratitude for Pastor and Sister Mooney with them and on the Indiana Bible College Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, we appreciate you helping out with that. Today on the Indiana Bible College podcast, we have student Andrew Christian preaching a message entitled, The Prosody of Grace. Praise the Lord, everybody. Feels good in the house of the Lord today. Uh, all right. Well, first off, I want to thank the, uh, the staff for giving me this opportunity and for pouring into us and for student council. Uh, I appreciate them so much. Um, I don't want to take lightly the word that God's given me today. I'm actually very nervous to deliver it because I feel like I've heard from God and I'm scared to be the vessel that goes in between. So I pray that uh, and I ask you that whatever mistakes that I make, that you just kind of put those aside and try to get it what God's given me, and just, I'm trying to decrease that he might increase, but I'm just going to dive right into the word here. Uh, I'm going to start with Genesis 1-1. Shouldn't take me this long to find it, it's page one. (laughs) It says this, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We're going to skip to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We're going to skip one more time to Psalms 19, verses 1 through 3. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Before I get to my main point today, I just kind of want to build a case that God is the greatest creator and the greatest artist that ever was. You see, in the beginning, all he needed to do to create was to speak a word. And from nothing emerged the heavens and the earth. Just with his word, he carved out the mountains and the valleys. And at his word, the seas burst forth out of the earth. With his word, 
He hung the constellations. He fastened the belt of Orion and bound together the Pleiades. And with this paintbrush, he painted the feathers of the peacock. They've served no function except for to display glory. In creation and everything declares the glory of God. In every little detail, it shows his wisdom and his attention to things. In every single thing. The natural response to this would be wonder. But so often we just take it for granted. This same God who created the heavens and the earth, he spent the most time creating man. He carved him out of the dust because it's what he loved. In his first act of grace, the only thing in, the only thing in creation that he said was not good was man in his solitary state. So he said, I'm going to create him a wife. Praise God for that act of grace. The other day, the other day, I, uh, I was getting ready for choir, and I had no idea where my choir tie was. And Brother Anderson said, it's okay, the new choir ties aren't in yet, you can just uh, grab a black one or a white one. And I was calling Victoria on the way to church, and I said, yeah, it's going pretty well, I'm on my way to choir. I don't know where my choir tie went. And she said, 753 miles away, granted. She said, your choir tie is in the passenger seat in the little pocket right there. I said, how on earth do you know that? That's <laughs> God's first act of grace. <laughs> but So he created man and put him in the garden. And he walked with him and spent time with him. And you see, when, we, when he sinned, he still gave a promise of redemption. Even though he had to leave the garden, there was still a promise there. See, and when it gets down to Abram, he said, Abram, I know you're just a random guy here, but if you just go, I'm going to make something great out of you. I'm going to establish a nation. If you just go. Did he tell him where to go? No. He said, go where I lead you, and I'm going to make something of you. I'm going to set up a covenant with you. We come down to Joseph. And Joseph spent most of his life suffering, sold into slavery by his own brothers, falsely accused and imprisoned for years. What do we make of this pain that Joseph went through? Well, you see, it's through all this that Joseph was able to save a nation. He saved Egypt from destruction, and he was able to establish the, his family that would later grow on to become the family of, that become the nation of Israel. A couple hundred years later, they're brought into captivity. And we see great atrocity committed by Pharaoh. We see evil and the murder of the children. But God says, you know what? You thought this was for evil, but not only am I going to free my people, I'm going to use Pharaoh's evil to drive them out into freedom. They're going to be pushed out into the wilderness because they're going to be pushed into freedom because I have better things for my people than slavery. But it took God's artistry to see that, to weave that thread of grace into the narrative. We come down to the king stage to David, and David was just a little shepherd boy. How on earth was he going to take down Goliath? How could he bring down a giant? It's not his own strength. But see, God wove that thread of grace again, and he empowered him to take down the giant that was attacking his people. 
And through this waiting period where he's being persecuted by Saul, and he already knows he's going to be the next king, but he has to wait. Through this waiting period, God builds character in him. Because one day, he's going to be that king. But he's got to be the man of God that he needs to be before he gets there. God wove that thread of grace through a waiting period. Through trials, through persecution, God built something. Like he's been doing since page one of this book. He's been building and weaving that thread of grace and showing his glory and reaching down for us. And he uses David to establish a unified kingdom, the greatest point that Israel's ever been. And he establishes more covenant with David. And then we get down to the prophet stage, and every single time that Israel backslides, and every single time they go far from him and fall into idolatry, what happens? God sends a voice in the wilderness, a voice crying out, and he says, I'm not giving up on my people. And this voice might sound like a rebuke, but you see, if I hated you, I wouldn't even send a prophet. I let you go to your own destruction. This is going to be a tough word that I'm sending through a prophet, but I'm sending it because I love you. I'm sending it because I got to carve some stuff out, and I'm still weaving that thread of grace. I'm not giving up on you. We see this thread of redemption everywhere. And we see the artistry that our God has. Now, with this being said, I'd like to title my sermon today, The Prosody of Grace. Prosody isn't a word that we use every single day. Um, I didn't know what it meant until I stumbled across it on a a YouTube video of a guy teaching about songwriting uh, named Pat Pattison from Berklee College of Music. And he says that prosody is a quality that all art has. Prosody is the unity of all the separate parts to make up a greater whole. It's every single detail that contributes to the idea behind the work of art. It's every chord progression that supports the lyric. You know, um, it's it's every stroke of the chisel that carves out a statue. Prosody is the work togetherness of a body of art. And without that, you couldn't just look at a picture and feel a feeling or hear a song and it tug at your heartstrings if there wasn't some sort of unity and some sort of, some sort of methodology that they can communicate an idea through their art form. But our God is a master creator. And he, he stepped into time as Jesus Christ. And he brought this work of redemption to an end here. And he suffered and died for us and took our place so that we can see that thread of redemption woven and that work finished. But see, it doesn't stop there, folks. He gave us his Holy Spirit to work on us because the work isn't finished. We have to go through a process to be the men and women of God that he wants us to be. You see, we struggle with perspective. And I think I think the most easily forgotten aspect in our, in our uh, theology, I guess you could say, is God's wisdom. And it's the most easy to forget in our personal lives. And I'll prove it to you because we all believe in God's strength. And we can prove that because when things go wrong, we call out to him and we believe he's going to do something. But our first nature is to run to him. 
right? We know that he's stronger than us because we can blatantly see our weaknesses. We know that he's holier than us because when we sin, we see that distance between us and him, and he's so far holier than we are. And we make so many mistakes that we can't deny it. But when it comes to God's wisdom, we know it up here. But when it comes to practice, we try to make plans for ourselves without considering it. When it comes to his wisdom, that's the only issue that we don't see our own faults there. Every man thinks that his path is right in his own eyes. That's where we fall short. And we don't even know that we're falling short there. This was the issue with Job. If any man, in, any man in history had the right to question God, it was Job. Because he went through so much suffering. If we look at the story of Job, it starts out in heaven. And uh, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's going to try him. And Satan takes everything from him. Only with the Lord's permission. Only with God's permission can he touch anything. And Job says, blessed is, the, uh, blessed is the Lord who gives and takes away. You see, his friends are going to tell him that he's in the wrong here, that he's done something. But he knows that he, knows that he hasn't done any sin to warrant this suffering. How does he make sense of it? What are the answers? See, I like, to, I like to study things and try to figure out and get answers to things. But Job is really intimidating for me to preach out of because it's not really a book that's full of a lot of answers. It, it almost asks more questions than it answers. But at the end of it, it gives the greatest comfort that you can get in your suffering. Our human nature is that we ask a lot of questions. Was anybody here a question child? Do you know what I mean when I say that? I was a question child. Any sort of thing, I'd be like, Mom, what does this do? And she'd say it. And if you, ask, if you answer a question child's question, does it stop there? Never. It never stops at one question, right? Never. I could ask questions all day until she finally just said, just shut up. <laughs> I could keep, I was so curious. I could keep asking all day. And see, we're the same way in our walks with God. Because we err by thinking that we need an answer for everything that we struggle with. But if God answers your question, it's like, it's like a hydra. You cut off one head and two grow back. It really is. If God were to answer your question, you wouldn't be satisfied. You just think you would be. That's, that's our human condition. And you know what we're doing when we try to get an answer to everything, we're just grasping to lean on our own wisdom. But God is saying, I didn't put this in my plan for you to understand what I'm doing right now just yet because you're going to try to mess it up. You're not going to stop asking questions and you think you're going to be satisfied, but that's not going to be the end of the story. I already know it. But see, the way that God answers Job, he doesn't answer a single accusation that Job makes. Not a single one of them. He says, gird up your loins like a man. I'm going to take you on a tour. I'm going to show you some things. Have you seen the storehouses filled with snow? Can you, can you tell the Leviathan to do what you want it to do? 
Have you seen this creation? Let me know if you understand it. See, we, we look at God's creation and we appreciate his strength, but really we should say, wow, <laughs> my wisdom is so insignificant compared to God's. Why would I try to plan my life when I can lean on the very one who created this world and created it to display his glory and created it with love in his heart for his people who had the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth because he cared for us. He wants to weave that thread of redemption and that thread of grace in your own lives. But if you try to understand it, you're just gonna try to get in the way. God's got it figured out. And when he, when he wraps up those loose ends, you're gonna say, this wasn't me, this was God. I'm going to have a testimony because I couldn't do this by myself. I didn't get myself out of the miry clay. I, didn't have, I wasn't able to reach down and grab myself out. The Lord had to do it because he's mighty. He's wise. He's caring for me. I didn't have the power to die for my own sins. I had to rely on a perfect sacrifice. I had to rely on my creator coming down in the flesh. See, I wish I could die for your sins, but I can't. Because I've sinned myself. I'm not perfect. It took perfection. If it were up to our own wisdom, it would never go the way that we planned it. We don't have the foresight. We don't have the perspective. And the issue with the, the problem with pain, as some philosophers have described it, it's not that good things happen or bad things happen to good people. The issue is that we don't have the, under, the wisdom and the understanding to know in the end which things are good things and bad things. At the end of the day, we don't really know. But it's this prosody, the work togetherness. The Lord's not going to put you through any, anything that you can't bear. And he's doing every single thing with intention. He never wastes a stroke of the brush or a hit with the hammer. Peter Kreeft says this. The world is a veil of soul-making, a great sculptor's shop, and we are the statues. To be finished, the statues must endure many blows of the chisel and be hardened in the fire. This is not optional. He goes on to say, what is remarkable is not that God hits us with so many blows of the sculptor's chisel, but that he manages with so few. Because if you saw the distance between where you are now and the glory of what he's turning you into be, you'd say, I didn't even think this was possible. You'd say, how did he do it with so little pain? I didn't even think I could get there. I didn't think it was possible. Now, Austin, can you come up here for me? We're going to put our imagination caps on for a second. Today... Austin is a 15-foot slab of marble, okay? And I am uh, everybody's favorite Renaissance sculptor, uh, Augustino Deduccio. Everybody's heard of him, right? Yeah, no. Nobody's heard of him. And the reason why nobody's heard of him, Austin, if you'll just stand right up here for me. The reason why nobody's heard of him is because the slab of marble sat in the basement of the Florence Cathedral for 10 years. And then another great 
Renaissance sculptor who we've all heard of. Antonio Rossellino. Everybody's familiar with him, right? Yeah, nobody. He comes, and he says, you know what? I'll take the job. And he goes to inspect the marble. And he says, I can't work with this. This is too imperfect and too broken. It's not going to last if I try to do anything with it. It's unusable. So he, he quits the job immediately before he even takes a hammer and chisel to the piece of work. But the, the, the cathedral said, you know what? This was too expensive to throw away, so I'm just going to leave it in the basement. For another 27 years, the slab of marble sits in the basement of the Florence Cathedral until a sculptor named Michelangelo comes along. We've all heard of him. He has a Ninja Turtle named after him. (laughs) He didn't get that way by being a quitter, though. See, what Michelangelo did, come up here now. He said, we're going to put you back on the pedestal. And he said, Michelangelo's philosophy was this. In every sculpture is already the divinely inspired work. All the sculptor has to do is liberate it from the the block of, of marble, from the slab. He didn't take his job lightly because he knew that there was something already in there. We serve a creator who sees the good that he put in you from the beginning. And even though you've put some extra stuff on, even though you've sinned, even though you have imperfections, he says, I'm not going to stop until I carve out the goodness that I put in you. I'm not going to stop until the work is finished. I don't leave things half started. I don't leave things not beautiful. I don't take you from glory and leave you in a basement. I take you from glory to glory to glory to glory. He hasn't given up on you yet. See, we think we need an answer to everything, but we don't. See, musicians, if you'd like to come, I don't know where I'm at with my time, but I just feel this in the Holy Ghost. We think we need an answer. You just go ahead and start chiseling. When we feel the pain, and the uncertainty. We don't know what that is, and we want to curse God. We want to take ourselves off the pedestal and say, stop chiseling. When you do that, you're running away from grace. Grace isn't always easy. Sometimes grace is a hammer, and sometimes it's a chisel. I would that we would just be able to raise our hands and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't need to know. I don't need to know the answer. I just need an encounter with you. I don't have to see what the finished work is until you finished it. I just wish, oh, God, I just don't want you to stop working on me. When can we say, just don't put me back in the basement? Why don't we say, God, bring out that chisel again? I want to look more like you. Romans 8. Romans 8 says this. Verses 28 and 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Stand with me if you would. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
There's a story that says a fan of Michelangelo came to him after and said, Michelangelo, how on earth did you carve out the most beautiful sculpture in the world out of an imperfect piece of slab? He said, it's easy. All you have to do is chip off all the pieces that don't look like David. You chip off everything that doesn't look like the finished product. And that's not always going to be easy. That's not always going to feel good. And I'm not trying to rationalize your pain. I'm not trying to say it's not there. I'm just trying to say that even if we don't get answers, we can see good in the end. It doesn't all have to make sense as long as you trust and know that it's going to work for your good. You might be suffering for you. You might be suffering to set an example for somebody else. We don't know, but we know God's handiwork. We know his track record. We know he's not going to leave something unfinished. Oh, I'd ask that you just come to this altar and you start to ask God, I don't want you to pull me out of the fire too soon until I look like what you want me to look like. God, I don't want that hammer and chisel to stop striking the stone until I look like you need me to look like. I'm not suitable for art. I've been rejected and cast out for my imperfections, God, but you see something deeper in me. You see something that you put there. Whatever you have to do to get that out of me, I'm just going to trust you with it. Whatever you have to do to surrender, just do it. He may not give you the answer, but it's still going to work for your good. You may not understand until we get to glory, but by God, we're going to get to glory. strikes of that chisel. I thank you for those hardships because they teach me to leave. 